Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Why is Stan Lee in the studio, Gavin? He's creeping me out. He's contractually obligated. Just because I mentioned the word Marvel, he has to... Just, just get him out of here because I don't even know if he's still alive or not. The following podcast contains... Because cursing is becoming more and more common, you will leave with a better knowledge of curse words, and you will be proud that you are well-educated. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When drawings of dudes and tights almost crashed an economy, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, March 30th, 2018, special collector's edition foil cover edition of the show, where we talk about the bubbles that burst and break your banks. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Baseball Card Collectors of America. Remember us? We were the big thing once upon a time, the hidden treasure in your toy box. Now, you can't even give us away. You can't even trade us for a Beanie Baby. Oh, sure, you could sell your Honus Wagner card, but you don't have a Honus Wagner card. In fact, we don't even have a Honus Wagner. We've just got boxes and boxes and boxes of Bo fucking Jackson. The baseball card collectors of America want to remind you that what is valuable today is shit tomorrow, so give up hope now. Bo fucking Jackson. How could we have gone in on that guy? They're not even worth a dollar. The Baseball Card Collectors of America. Honestly, your childhood isn't worth anything to anyone but you. And really, it's probably not even worth that much to you. So without further ado, let's get into the actual factors and examine these factors that led up to the perfect storm that is 1990s comics. So let's start off by briefly summarizing all of the uh, factors that I believe ultimately led up to the comic book crash of the 1990s. And those are nostalgia and the collecting of comics, the release of Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and that kind of shift to darker stories, the comics direct market, the rise of the rock star artist, and comic book speculation. A few years back, I went through the standard white male midlife crisis, variant number six, in which I became very enthused with purchasing my childhood. The result of this was not an insignificant expenditure of funds I did not have to spare on copious amounts of 70s and 80s tabletop role-playing games. Kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons thing. <laughs> yeah, it was more like every game. They came out between, say, 1974 and 1994. And which, if you are familiar at all with the genre... Seems excessive. Mm-hmm. Good God, it was. Excessive and incredibly expensive. But when you're a white dude in his mid-40s coping with the realization you will not be living the dreams of your youth, whether those dreams were being the lead singer of Van Halen or captain of the Starship Enterprise, you do what you gotta do to address that sudden crippling existential anxiety. I got off light. I don't have alimony, child support, and payments on a brand new sports car. So I figure if I bought a few D&D books, I can live with it. 
One of the things I learned while on this bind binge was something about the business of role-playing games in the late 80s and early 90s. As I was buying up the massive amounts of books on eBay in a frenetic desire to be complete, I realized most of what I was buying was... Shitty. Very shitty. God, they were making a lot of products. Not just TSR, but dozens of companies all producing as much gaming materials just as fast as they could. This caused a massive glut of product on the market and... The company's gonna lose a shit ton of money. Oh, yeah. They lost a shit ton. I mean, they'd, they'd made a shit ton, but they lost all of it and more. So much that basically the entire gaming market collapsed and the young nerds moved on to collectible card games like Magic the Gathering and Pokemon, which did not require an inconveniently large set of buildings to tote around their gaming collections. Now, what was funny is because all of us first-generation children gamers are of roughly the same age, each of us arrived at the aforementioned midlife crisis at roughly the same time, and we all started buying up those books, causing a second mini-bubble in old role-playing games books. Fool me once. Shame on... Shame on you. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. <laughs> Come to find out, you, 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 you can get fooled again. And if anybody wants to buy some role-playing games books, uh, hit me up on Twitter, all right? Now, speaking of massive piles of moldering paper that are essentially worthless, let's move on to today's topics. Let's talk about comic books. Is that what you guys wanted to talk about? Oh, what did you think I was going to talk about? The nation is still hanging between the sword of Dickocles with a very real chance we'll see Trump's peeing on CNN at any moment. I'm running for the shelter of nostalgia here. Now, I went on a deep dive this week on the history of Marvel versus DC Comics, which is the world war of the comics universe. Well, one of the many world wars, anyway. We didn't really have anything like that in the role-playing game universe, partly because TSR dominated the market from beginning to end, but mostly because the fighting was confined to TSR itself. Yeah, and look how well that turned out. I've been reading a book called Slugfest, Inside the Epic 50-Year Battle Between Marvel and DC, which is filled with details drawn from first-person accounts, industry reports, fan magazines, and business data on the fight between the two giants of comics. It's fucking fascinating. I mean, I just thought these guys were... Bunch of nerds. But this book is way more like Mad Men than Mad Magazine. Although, considering at the time... Mad Magazine was probably also radically mad men. The story is loaded with egos, betrayal, oodles of money, rises and falls, fuck-ups and brilliance. If someone is not doing a story for Netflix, I need someone at Netflix to call me right now. Yeah, David's the executive producer. I could do a five-part series on this book alone. Well, actually, I couldn't because that would require me to do a lot of research and reading. And frankly, I don't have the time, effort, or really the motivation for that kind of work. Better to just talk a bunch of shit that I only know tangentially know anything about. You certainly have a knack for it. Okay. Remember back in the 90s when all of a sudden everyone and their mom were buying comic books? <laughs> of course you don't. That's why you listen to this podcast rather than doing something valuable with your time. Anything but this. Let me sum up really fast. After decades of rising circulation and periodical ebbs, DC and Marvel finally hit upon a method to make serious money out of comics. Prior to the 1980s, comics were sold wherever magazines were sold. I bought most of my childhood comics off the spinner rack in the grocery store while my mom was paying for me frosted Lucky Charms. They're always after me, Lucky Charms. 
What? Why does everyone always laugh when I say that? Problem was, the magazine model had a bunch of flaws. The biggest which was that the comic didn't sell, they came back to the publisher as a return, and the distributors would universally say, Give me my fucking money back. As you might expect, this was a problem. Well, Marvel figured out a few important things. The first one was that kids, who were traditionally the chart target demographic for comics, did not what we have today call disposable income. Second, there were, however, a lot of people who did read comics who did have disposable income. You know. Nerd! Adults, most of them in their early 20s who grew up reading comics, and they were spending a lot of money on nerd things, like Dungeons and Dragons, Ticket to Star Wars movies, and of course... And porn. A lot of fucking porn. Marvel figured out they could sell directly to those guys in specialty shops where aficionados of the genre would gather to judge one another on their respective choices and reading materials. We know them as comic book shops. This new direct market from the publishers meant that shop owners who bought the books from distributors at a cheaper rate than before with the caveat that what you bought, you kept, even if it didn't sell. And with as little as $300, you could buy an account with a distributor, open up a shop wherever you could find the space. There had been comic book shops since the 60s, but the 80s saw an explosion of local shops everywhere, from relatively high-end stores and shopping malls to literal shipping containers opened only a few hours a week. <gasps> Classy! These places were classic American small businesses ran almost exclusively by passionate comic book people. Well, sir, I don't believe we've ever met. My name is Jeff Albertson, but everyone calls me comic book guy. Well, I'll just call you friend. And they were in it not for fame or fortune, but to spend as much time possible enmeshed in something they love. Pop culture paints them as losers, but this is exactly what everyone says they want to do with their lives, and these fuckers actually did it! Suck it, loser! They were also the ones to suffer when the inevitable crash came, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Without even realizing it, the comic book market exploded. By the mid-1980s, comics went mainstream thanks in large to an influx of new artists and writers who had the crazy idea that comic books did not have to be for kids. Artists like Frank Miller's gritty characters and brooding art style influenced a generation of creators and readers. All of a sudden, you could be caught reading a comic book in public and not get your ass kicked. On top of this, genres once for considered forbidden by the archaic comics code, that was an actual thing and could be a show topic in and of itself, but they that opened up so you could now create books that feature storylines beyond your capes and tights, and they appeared on shelves everywhere. Independent publishers began to nibble at the edges of Marvel and DC, who responded by increasing the number of titles they were producing a month. More titles needed more artists, which meant that a once small market of creators expanded as well. At, an, at the same time, something else was going on that was frankly... Struck me as being very peculiar at the time. And it was caused by another childhood collecting boom that peaked at the same time comics began expanding. Baseball cards. For no adequately explored reason, baseball cards became a thing in the 80s, and because there was a lot of money floating around out there, some rich douchebags decided that they needed to have their childhoodness in collector's conditions and paid an obscene amount of money for little pieces of cardboard that came with bubblegum back in the 1950s. Fool and his money are lucky enough to get together in the first place. It was the 80s, alright? There were a lot of fools in their money. 
So what happened is some dipshit paid a lot of money for old baseball cards, and that got some other different dipshits thinking their old comics were worth money as well. Dipshits being dipshits, all of a sudden, those old comics were worth money. Old comic books, which because they were made on, a pa- on paper, a bare whisker above toilet paper that miraculously survived to the 80s, were worth an ungodly amount. This caused people to think that maybe comic books being made at the time were also worth money. And they began to buy them up like mad. They bought one to read and 11 to keep for posterity. They boarded them and stored them so that they could retire on comic book money. And the publishers, keen to capitalize on dipshits and their money, began to find more ways to move product based entirely on this speculation market. Thanks to the advent of the new technology of demographic marketing, the publishers knew that one of the ways the nerd mind works is our obsessive need to have everything we love. We cannot not have a complete collection of whatever it is we collect. And collectors loved comics. So instead of issuing one title, one issue of Title X, they would issue Title X in 10 different variant covers because they knew nerds had to buy all of them. All of them. You make the same thing, one issue, and sell it 10 times over. It was fucking brilliant, and also... That was a real dick move. But it made a lot of money for everyone, from the corporate owners of the publishing house all the way to the guy who owned the local comic books hut. So long, people kept buying it. The practical upshot of all these factors had some dramatic effects on the comics industry. The publishers suddenly found themselves rolling in so much money, they were even willing to share it with the actual people who made the thing they were making so much money from. All of a sudden, artists and writers of the titles were cut in for a share of their royalties. There was so much money in the market, the comic books creators were pulling in six-figure royalty checks. Comic book guys were making rock star money. Boats, expensive houses, fucking airplanes. One guy bought himself an airplane on comic book money. The good times were so good that comic books were in business magazines and on Good Morning Fucking America. And those good times were never, ever going to end. Right up until the inevitable crash. And crash it did. You see, the publishers had a small problem. They constantly needed sales to go up, even in the boom. But there was a roof on this motherfucker, and they were standing on it. They had to find a way to get more money out of the people buying comics. And they did that not through creating better content or through sound business practices, but rather... No, a hook, an angle, a gimmick. And all they had left was just that. They glutted the market with titles, and because they were focusing on quantity and not quality, the books that came out were indeed... Absolutely, the complete shit. From the website comicbook.com, quote, Marvel especially, as they tried to corner the market in an effort to protect their share of it and attract more buyers, they went berserk with foil covers, die-cut covers. Foil was everywhere. At one time, Marvel decided to flood the market with different titles so Faith or Comic Faithful would use all their budget only on Marvel titles. I think their target was 200 titles a month, and as you can imagine, quality control went out the window. 
Whereas Marvel was dry humping the market to try and save its financial skin, DC benefited, benefited greatly from the promotion that their death of Superman story arc that was created when media outlets like CNN and the New York Times caught wind of the company's intentions. It didn't matter that DC had killed Superman 12 times in story arcs from 1944, 1950, 1957, 1958, 1961, 1962, 1963, when reprints are counted, unquote. By the time this manic rush for comic gold was over, the core of the market, the collectors and diehard fans who sustained the publishers for decades, said, Oh man, this thing. That's it, I'm done, I'm out. They wanted good titles, strong art, compelling stories. What they got was foil covers and rapacious publishers who were milking them for every cent they could get. They didn't stop buying comics, they just stopped buying shit comics. And all DC and Marvel were producing were shit comics. But at the same time, small, independent publishers began to appear on the scene that filled the gaps left by the greed of the big two. And comic fans were happily buying their titles. Sure, they still bought DC and Marvel's, just not in the numbers they did before. And what about all those people who bought comic books as an investment? This is all worthless. Do the words pennies on the dollar mean anything to you? Of course Marvel and DC survived. Both had corporate money, and while they hurt for a while, they survived. The creators who bought boats and planes probably had to sell them. For the most part, their titles didn't disappear. They shrank a bit. But they kept on producing reliable livings for their creators, as they should. You know... Who took it up the ass and not in a loving way? Look at that comic book fellow calmly eating candy like a Spaniard. Yeah, the little guy on the strip ball. They went out of business because the market crashed. Just goes to show you, no matter what you do, even the most esoteric and the nerdy genre imaginable, corporate America will always find a way to fuck you. You know, if you love something, by all means embrace what you love. My best friend has a giant comic collection, but she's not doing it because she plans on retiring on that collection. She does it because she loves comic books. She, is she savvy about the books she buy, buys? Does she invest money in buying issues with good return on investment and pays for grading and artist signatures? Yep, she sure does. But she knows there's no conceivable reality where these books are going to make her rich. She does it out of love, which is supposed to be at the core of all nerd culture. Love the thing you love with some sense of reality. Your humble host himself has pruned his role-playing game shelf back enormously. I sold off most of my collection a few years back and made a little bit of money on the deal, but even as I speak, the market for these books is in a much smaller bubble of his own and one that's about to crash and crash hard because Hasbro, who owns almost all the intellectual property from, from TS has finally decided to open up their vaults to print on demand. So you no longer need to enter the collector's market to buy a book you had as a kid. You pay 20 or 30 bucks and you have a brand new copy on your desk in about a week. And you can hear the howls of eBay sellers if you listen. Oh, look, there's a new way to give money to massive corporations that own my fucking memories. And pretty soon, I'm sure Disney will own those too. Most of all, you have to remember that corporations own your childhood and they do not give a fuck about you. 
You're a dollar sign to them. DC and Marvel exist to market your nostalgia and package the things you loved as a kid to a new generation as an endless stream of mass market blockbuster movies and TV shows. Everything you ever loved will be packaged, processed, commodified, and regurgitated in order to extract the highest possible dollar amount from the material. It will be recycled, reused, and repurposed into any form that comes along in order to drive you to purchase in that new form. How many of you bought fucking Blu-rays when you already own the DVD? It's the same fucking movie. And let me tell you this. You best hope that we never figure out how to digitize the human brain. Because I guarantee goddamn you, Disney will find a way to reissue a special collector's edition foil cover of you someday. For a limited time only, buy back Grandpa and all of his original glory in deluxe edition download-only version for VR and neural net playback. Because they already own your memories, they might as well own the memory of you as well. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. Uh, can someone come pick up Stanley? I just put a mirror under his nose. He seems to be alive. This is, this is just embarrassing. The man's 95 years old. He doesn't even know where he is. He just charged me 100 bucks to sign a roll of toilet paper from the bathroom. You people should be ashamed of yourself, leaving an old man at a place like this. Do you know the diseases he could get just from sitting on that chair? We had Don Jr. staying here last week. We don't know where he's been. Speaking of social diseases, if you would like to infect others with a podcast equivalent of a social disease, you know, the kind of thing you can catch around from hanging low-rated podcasts, Rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast so other folks can catch your disease. You can track the spread of our infection by following the show on Twitter at the Hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook. All the episodes are of ill repute are on SoundCloud at the show name and at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, Dave, the whiskey-soaked wonder Bledsoe, producer in action force Gavin, and all the fictional power mutants on this show, we want to say... We, we, we don't think we can handle this. It's, it's a cloudy day in Metropolis. We should probably talk to our analyst because we got something for this little journalist. God help me. It's morally safer. We'll see you all next week. Let's
Seltzer Kings Podcasts.